0: Good afternoon, KZMU listeners from near and from afar. This is Lisa, your host of Great Wide Open. The topic for today's show is after the burn. I sit down with Eric Trenbeth and Brian Murdoch from the Manti LaSalle National Forest to discuss the fire that occurred in the LaSalle Mountains and surrounding area in June of 2021. We talk about the anatomy of the incident, and we will also talk about how things are looking now during ski season, and what the prospects are for the future. I want to say from the start that this show is specific to outdoor recreation, so we will not be talking at great length about the catastrophic loss in the Pack Creek community. Our hearts are with you as you rebuild and move forward, and we will place links on the website when this show gets uploaded, For any resources that may be available to those in need in the Pack Creek community. We also mentioned a lot of other resources throughout the course of this show and we will upload links to all of those on the website for your convenience if you are looking to get information about events that might be going on in the National Forest, information about pending construction projects, and just other general topics that we mentioned throughout the hour of the show. So I hope you'll sit back and enjoy this conversation, and as always, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send them to kzmugwo at gmail.com. Good afternoon, everybody, and this is the what, are, what month are we now? February 2022 edition of Great Wide Open, heard every second Monday of the month at 4 p.m., part of the KZMU Public Affairs Show. And today we are sitting down with Brian Murdoch and Eric Trenbeth from the manti LaSalle National Forest to talk about the event we had this summer, which was the big and pretty devastating to a lot of us fire in LaSalle National Forest. Welcome to Great Wide Open. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Lisa. Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. So, I'm Brian Murdoch. I am the uh, recreation manager here on the Moab Monticello Ranger District of the Mantua LaSalle National Forest, which is kind of a mouthful. But I've been here for uh, 16 years and I manage the recreation program, which includes the Avalanche Center, Trail Cruise, Developed Recreation, um, and all those different projects and programs in both La Salle's and the Abajo's and out in Bears here so it's a very diverse district with a lot of different things going on and uh yeah it's, it's kind of my dream job I love being here and it's a great place to be so
0: And we have Eric over here, introduce yourself, and I will just note to you, um, KZMU Great Wide Open listeners, Eric was my very first guest on Great Wide Open, (laughs) so it's great great to have you back in the studio.
2: Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, I'm I'm Eric Trenbeth, and I work for Brian here. I'm the uh, avalanche forecaster for the LaSalle Mountains, and that's under the Recreation Department, and LaSalle and Abajo Mountains, I should say, and in the summertime, I work as a Bears Ears Ranger down on Elk Ridge and i've been forecasting here in la salle this time around i think i'm going on my eighth season and i also did it from 1999 to 2003. Um, i lived in moab about 30 years Um, this place is definitely home all through the 90s i was a river guide and then i worked at alta on the ski patrol in the winter time and that's kind of where i got my avalanche experience and to be able to land the only avalanche job in southeast utah i really feel like i have the best of both worlds get to live here in the desert with all you desert folks and uh all the activities we have and then i get to go up in the mountains and play in the snow in the winter so it's a great gig
0: i think we have a room full of people who are super uh, grateful to have landed in moab and all like <laughs> somehow well in my case fell into my dream job and what, a hundred years almost collective experience here in Moab? Maybe more? Yeah, I'm not right. sure. Yeah. And all three of us uh, have a obviously a deep affection for the LaSalle Mountains. Obvious, and you guys just stated that, and obvious from my end because, um, yeah, it's been in the summertime my second home, as it is for a lot of people. We all three, I think, interact with the forest in different ways. And that's one of the things that is so great about this resource that we have is that it's so diverse and there's so many activities and places that people can go different environments to experiment, to experience and different ecosystems. I'm more of a lowlander. You guys are more (laughs) highlanders. I Like both, like both. Yeah. (laughs) I kind of live in the lowlands in the, in the canyons. Um, and so I think, so many of us in this community feel that way about that resource. It's just this precious thing that we have. Right now we're enjoying January, as some people like to call it. <laughs> we're in the, in the Red Rock, and we're running around in t-shirts and shorts. And then in the summertime, when t-shirts and shorts are no longer a fun thing, we can head up to those mountains and enjoy markedly cooler temperatures and this crazy thing called shade. <laughs> water yeah flowing things like that and then bam in june of this year um something we may have seen coming we knew we were due for a fire in the Los cells but a man caused fire is never an ideal situation no and brian if you don't mind maybe you can give us a little bit of um the anatomy of sure
1: oh uh, i think a lot of folks have probably heard of but just to Quick summary, I mean, I think it was June 9th that I actually started. And I always tell people when I talk about the fire, it was a little, bef- a week before the fire started, I was actually still skiing. I'd skied off Mount Pill on Memorial Day. So it was like nine days later from skiing, we had a fire. And there are places that actually burnt over snow, which was pretty unique. But I, I think it was June 9th that it did start. Um, started in Pack Creek Picnic area. It was uh, an illegal campfire. We don't allow campfires in there and somebody decided to have one on a hot June afternoon. Um, we don't know exactly what happened because investigation is still going and we have not, um, we don't have any suspects right now, but still ongoing, so if people do know anything. We're still looking for tips out there and still willing and wanting to follow all those. So, um, but it was, it did start in the Pack Creek picnic area. I was on the backside of the mountain that day. I think Eric was up on the front side um, I was at Medicine Lake, and I could actually see this plume coming up, and I thought, oh, wow, that must be on BLM land. So I came around the corner, and I'm like, that's not on BLM, that's on forest. Um, and basically that afternoon, it kind of headed up the canyon, and then later that evening came back down, unfortunately, through the ranch, Creek Ranch, and, and did hit some homes and do some damage in there. And then the next day, made a big run, and we all watched that as it ran up into the high country over what really was weeks after that, and ended up burning um, all the way to the top of haystack, which is unbelievable. I mean, we've been skiing a lot, but it was winter, and you can still see those little burnt patch of trees way at the top, over 11,000 feet, um, surrounded by talus, but the fire still got up into it. Uh, I think it ended up being about 9,000 acres, which is the biggest fire we have records of in the La Salle's. Um, we've had a few of them, like over on the Lackey Basin, and people might remember the the one that started in the Castle Valley and ran at the Porcupine Rim, but this one was by far, you know, the biggest one we've had since I've been here, and I think in our historic record for the district. Um, so pretty unfortunate that to have, like you said, to have a human-caused fire, um, and really unfortunate that we actually burned structures down in people's residences. That's always a tragedy. Um, and, you know, all of us that, that have so much uh, love for this mountain, it was pretty devastating to watch. I mean... Eric was really emotional. I was pretty emotional. We were, you know, watching this thing and watching this huge buildup of, of fire infrastructure with airplanes, helicopters, everything going on. And it was, you know, kind of surreal to have this happening on our district. Um, but in the end, it's, it's... Ecologically, there were some good things that did come out of this. And if people had a chance to get up on the mountain after the fire, they saw how fast it was coming back. I mean, Aspen is already... You know, there's three foot tall aspens coming back underneath some of these stands, um, some really amazing stuff that is happening ecologically. So it's not all bad news. I mean, it's always bad news when you burn up houses and, and have that kind of stuff happening there. But uh, there is some, some benefits that came out of it, too. So
0: Yeah, there's definitely, it's indisputable in, in the ecology of a fire is beneficial almost always, even though in our lifetime, we may not see like the return of the legacy trees or things like that, that we've grown accustomed to. But over time, ecologically, there will be the the benefits that come from a fire and fires are natural. What's not natural, as we all know, is when a fire starts low by typically um, a human caused event, which is why I'm reluctant now in my conversations to call them wildfires. Because they're man fires yeah. in this type of a thing, like in the Henry Mountains, where you had the spark down low that just creates this ecology where the fire races up hillsides or ravines or whatever, and follows a completely different path than if it was a lightning strike on a ridge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, along with this fire, and everybody that lives here in Moab saw this too, it was really interesting that you really got the uh, connection between the mountain and town when the monsoons came and we hadn't had monsoons for a couple of years. And so as soon as this fire was happening, we started worrying about that. Okay, we're going to get a monsoon pattern in here. And sure enough, we did. I mean, one of the biggest ones we've had, I don't know, in a while. And every little rain we had, you saw what happened. I mean, it was right back through town with a huge amount of debris um, and back through Pat Creek and damaging roads and property up there too. So, yeah, it, it was, I mean, it was... <laughs> It was amazing that we hadn't had any monsoons and then we got them right after the fire so it was uh both the good and the bad because the rain
0: the moisture helped the immediate environment settle things down a little bit yeah yeah the the flooding that we were immediately seeing so quickly after a fire
1: yeah i mean you could hear it coming right through town and i went down the first i was on the backside again when we had that first big monsoon storm hit and came down and ran down to the the confluence of uh Creek in the Colorado and it was just amazing to see the different colors and all this wood getting blown out into the Colorado it's like wow this is you know wood that's coming off the mountain and now it's down here in the river yeah
0: changing the (laughs) it was like being at the confluence of the green and the Colorado when you have those color differences only yeah this was like smudge exactly and, and river ash and yeah really dark sediment
1: coming off there so
0: And speaking of floods, I know a lot of us had um, floods of emotions when, um, you know, witnessing this fire and feeling so helpless. And Eric, I didn't see you during that time, but I was getting, you know, insider trading information that it was a really emotional thing for you to witness that. And do you want to... With your intimate relationship with these mountains, you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, I mean, like everybody down here that goes up to those mountains, it was really hard to watch. And we didn't know how much damage was actually occurring. I mean, you could see how much it had burnt across the west face. But other than that, you were looking at the perimeter map on NIFSI or whatever and, and assuming that everything within those lines is going to be black. And so I'm watching, oh man, the north, this just all went under. Oh man, this is all gone. Oh, this is happening. And, and I'll never forget the the second day after it really blew up overnight, and I was supposed to go down to Elk Ridge that weekend, and Brian texted me, and he says, it went into Gold Basin last night, and I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, my spiritual center of the LaSalle Mountains is gone, you know, or going to be, and... I could look at the weather station there at the end of the Gold Basin Road, and you could see the temperatures, and you could see that it went up to like 126 degrees that night, and then it went back down to like 45 degrees in the morning when things cooled off so that you knew the fire had just fully raced through there, and you didn't know to what extent the damage was, and then I had to go down to Elk Ridge for the weekend, and even from down there, you, you could see the the cloud, the the smoke plumes from all the way down there and then that was the day that it really blew up on haystack yeah. and we thought things are really going to go bad and I finally got up there in the peaks and got to look around and realized that it could have been so much worse and <laughs> you know it burned over the weather station at the end of the gold basin road and it kind of damaged all the trees around the snow study plot which used to be this really sheltered beautiful area that I just loved to be in and measure snow and It's all burnt right around that, but it stopped right there for some reason. And, you know, in the end it was, it it could have been so much worse, but it was so hard to watch, like for all of us, right?
0: Yeah, and because you don't know and you feel so helpless and, you know, anyone who's ever seen a helicopter drop, whether it's just a load of water or a load of retardant on a big fire, you're just like, that's just... You know, it's like putting a, a thumbprint on. Yeah. I don't even know what the, the metaphor I can, can't come up with, but you're just like, really?
1: I looks pretty
0: Holy cow, cow, that looks that. so big yeah. on the ground.
2: You know, one thing, back to the, like, with the positive ecological aspects that Brian was talking about, I've learned a lot from this as well, and they always say that, you know, that's good, but I worry about my big old trees or whatever. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the mixed conifer that burned um, is going to provide, like Brian said, the regeneration for the aspens. And aspen need the sunlight... And so typically what happens, and aspens throughout the southwest are suffering right now. So anything that we can do to encourage their regrowth is is awesome. And they they really are shooting up all over in there in a lot of places that were getting really dark and shady and overgrown with subalpine fir. And so a lot of that country has opened up and the aspens are really shooting back up in there again. And the patchy nature of it, it makes it... I almost feel guilty about saying it, because yeah. sometimes I'll come along the ridge and I'll be like, wow, look at that view over there. That's great. You never could see that before. Suddenly you can see through the trees, Unfortunately, you're not seeing an entire burnt zone. You're just in this one burnt zone where suddenly you can see Haystack Mountain out there that you never could see before, and then you go back into the forest again because it was very patchy in that
0: respect. Well, and one of the interesting things about the patchiness of, of fires in general and this fire, that, and you can really see yeah. the way that the fire displays, There's been a lot of studies done recently, it's a little bit of a tangent, but um, on tree ecology that relates to fire ecology, which is, you know, they're starting, we've always known that aspens have a shared network and root system and like basically can communicate. And now they're discovering information that in um, in the fungal contribution in the forest floor, that not only are like aspens connected, but all the trees in the forest and they can send messages to each other and be like, yo dudes in row C, get your, get your fire retardant out to the surface because we're all going down, but we're sending this message to you. Yeah, I mean, right. I'm anthropomorphizing trees, but there's this Whoa. great book by Suzanne Simard called Finding the Mother Tree. So, all you people out yeah. there and here in the office, if you haven 't checked out that book it 's some pretty fascinating science
1: yeah no that 's a good point there There definitely is more and more research showing that interconnectivity between the trees and the fungus and everything out there and One of the things that happened real quickly, like I'd mentioned with all that aspen coming back, I was surprised, um, and we 'll look at this more as we do more you know post burn monitoring but Aspen is coming back in places where there hadn't been an aspen stand. It was, you know, fairly old-growth mixed conifer. And just anecdotally, I've been walking out and looking where the nearest aspen was, and sometimes it's hundreds of yards away, and yet you have all this stuff growing up again. So So it's all underground. Yeah, it's like sitting there waiting for this, you know, something to happen, and all of a sudden, bam, a fire. Something tells it, hey, it's time to grow. And you've got stuff that's not even near an existing aspen stand that's just shooting right up. So pretty interesting i think it kind of talks to that point too about that interconnectivity and yeah. some of the messaging that all
0: this stuff yeah
1: each and other. it's
0: interesting with our forest just the way it lays out that you can actually just see those yeah. patterns of yeah where it's burned and where trees are still standing you're like i can't believe that's happening but then if you believe the, the science that's coming in about the trees, yeah, they can protect each yeah. other and send messages to each other.
1: It, and Erin makes a really good point. You brought up two of the patches because <laughs> that 9,000 acres, I mean, you look on the map, it looks like, oh, my gosh, it was half the district. But inside that 9,000 acres, I mean, it's, there's, you know, a lot of green left. And there's places in Gold Basin, first time we went up before the snow, and I've noticed that a bunch sent skiing in there. But there's, there's individual trees of have caught fire that only burnt there. Just, you know, an ember got in the top. It burnt straight down. Um, nothing else was even affected. So just to watch that pattern, especially in the high country, yeah. um, because it was so early. Uh, but it's pretty interesting to see how it burnt like that. In some places it went big, and some places it was one tree or even part of a tree. and Yeah, really patchy and a mosaic, which is what you want. I mean, that's what yeah. the benefit is. Brian and I were got allowed to
2: go up in there um, fairly soon after they got a lot of it contained. And... We hiked into Gold Basin and was, we're just, oh, oh, what are we going to see? What are we going to find? You know, and you get to the end of the Gold Basin Road, for those of you folks that haven't been in there yet, the first quarter mile or so is completely torched. You know, that's where it kind of blew over the ridge and kept on going. But then you walk into the Aspens after that and you get into Gold Basin and it's relatively untouched, other than, like Brian said, an individual tree here and there. And so I keep thanking the lucky stars for, for that.
0: Yeah, and we also got lucky. I didn't realize at the time this was luck. I thought, oh, it's just, you know, fire ecology It's not going to race up and go over the mountains because that doesn't happen typically (laughs) in fires. But then I learned shortly thereafter, listening to an interview about fire ecology, that that's not the case anymore. And this um, biologist was saying that more and more frequently now we are seeing with these huge fires because persistent drought and other reasons that the fires are not stopping where we would typically expect yeah. them like at a tree line situation they're racing over and dropping onto the other sides of yeah. the mountains
1: and yeah. having crown fires above snow on the ground exactly we said i was going to say some of that behavior was really and you talked to some of these old-time firefighters that were on this and they're like wow we haven't seen this before it's like burning over snow and then we, we actually took a video of it our our uh, fire management officer, uh, took a, he has a good video. It's still online. If you look at our Manteca South Facebook page, but a green Aspen in June fire burning downhill in it without wind on it. And like, it actually went viral because it's like, that's not behavior that is usually going to be occurring, but we definitely saw it on this, this fire. And we, you know, let up with months of dryness and the drought we're dealing with and everything else. So yeah, it all kind of led up to some really extreme fire behavior that we saw up there. Um, Yeah, pretty interesting.
0: And we'll probably be seeing more of that in future fires here and other places. Yep. So you guys got in there pretty quickly. And, like, how did you feel seeing, like, were you thinking, Eric, in your ski brain, were you like, okay, well, this run is gone, and that run's going to be like this, and there's so much a downed tree over there. Like, what was the... You know, that was
2: the thought driving (laughs) up the road. But once you got there and started looking around, you realized that not that much of the ski train was affected, and, and some of the skiing has improved. I hate to kind of say that. Um, people do say it opens up the skiing. Yeah. Some areas it opened up a little bit, but we're not talking big swaths. We're not. It's not a significant amount of ski terrain that was affected, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Like, um, Very like of less it.
0: than a big avalanche slide, or more. or...
2: Well, okay, so on Noriega's Ridge and Brumley Creek up towards Gold Basin, it definitely burnt over that ridge, and that was a really steep, wooded area, and the trees in there do hold the snow in place somewhat. It's still a place I wouldn't ski very often just because it is so steep, but this December 10th, we had our first avalanche cycle of the year, and that whole thing ripped out wall to wall like a thousand feet wide where where it had been burnt. It's a factor of how steep the slope was to begin with, and it may be a factor of the of the anchors being burned up, you know, down at the ground level. So that has changed things. It's not an area that people really get into and ski very often. And then kind of the edge of what we call the North Woods, uh, right above the Gold Basin Weather Station there, burnt. And that actually is gonna be opened up yeah. some,
1: right? Yeah, it is. And it's interesting to see because it's changed use patterns somewhat in the forest. Like all of a sudden there's new up tracks, skin tracks, um, in places where there's never been that before and even the first time i went up i've been doing this for a long time and been up there a lot i got totally you know disoriented where am i yeah like what the heck you can see like eric said you can see you know melaton over there haystack i'm like oh this is throwing me off and it's interesting to see you don't realize it but there's individual trees i think my brain had always focused on like oh this is where you turn right this is where you turn left and it just looked different so that's led to some different use patterns which is kind of interesting Um, but yeah, the skiing, some of it's opened up a bit, but it really didn't hit too much of that, um, ski terrain. So the one thing we are going to have both winter and summer, and we've already seen this, um, but more blowdown and dealing with more of that stuff coming down. So if you go up there, you will see, we've got new signage up, you know, letting people know, Hey, if you're in these areas, be aware if there's wind coming up or rain events. Um, it's definitely something to watch out for because we've already had some big wind storms and we spent a couple of days up there cutting big trees out of the off the Nordic trails already. Um, and that happens every year, but I think we're going to see that. And usually, like if you look at the, the a lot of the, the fires in Idaho, it's four or five years after the burn that you really start getting them falling down. So we're probably pretty lucky right now. And it hasn't been affected too much, but as we, you know move further away in time from that burn, more of those trees are going to be coming down, and it is going to be a little scarier to be out there during a windstorm or a windy event, so. Yeah, and I'm a little bit worried about the new infrastructure we have. We have a new snowtail site
2: up there at the Gold Basin study plot, and that is one of the big areas that got burnt, and so five years from now, we might start getting trees falling down on this instrumentation, and who knows what type of mitigating effects we'll have to do for that. Yeah, um, so. yeah. But that'll be a concern in a few years for sure. Did
1: but I was gonna say overall, just from a rec standpoint, recreation standpoint, we really lucked out. You know, I was watching it, thinking, oh, Uwa Lake's gone, Warner's,
0: Warner's gone. gone, the
1: historic cabin at Warner's gone. I mean, all the, all worst the bike case trails are gone. All the bike trails are gone. Yeah. And then you get up there, and boy, you look at the map, and it almost just kind of wiggled around a lot of the recreation. So we had, I think, I was trying to think on the way over here, six or seven of our trail signs burned up. Um, the communications tower burned up. That was the biggest thing for our recreation program, um, which we've already replaced and got back in, in place and working. But really, uh, none of the campgrounds really got affected. that it was the signage, and then the trails, if you got there after, it wasn't so much the fire, but the erosion from the monsoons afterward did impact uh, a fair amount of trails. Um, you know, the Trans LaSalle going across it just really filled in. We've got a lot of work to do there. The Clark Lake Trail got hit pretty hard. Um, which we got back on right after the fire, so I'm hoping we dealt with all of that. But the main, you know, a whole enchilada, Moonlight Meadows it burned through, but the trail's out in the meadow, that's why it's called Moonlight Meadows, and it really didn't do too much there. I mean, it was all green through as you moved through that. Mostly just between the meadows and the lake itself. Yes, huh? that's exactly. That's where it really burned through. Yeah. yeah, it really got down in there. So we we really kind of dodged the bullet from a recreation standpoint. Um, no, there's work to do, but it it's not the disaster it could have been for the recreation programs
0: yeah it was pretty um for those of us who aren't necessarily always like interacting with maps or gis or satellite imagery i think um, this fire turned our community into like we all became like overnight uh, <laughs> recreational yeah satellite interpreters yeah and it was pretty crazy how you could watch and you know you watch like come on update satellite update satellite and (laughs) oh there's a new hot
2: spot that one (laughs) cooled off (laughs) oh
0: my my gosh what's gonna happen there and then you're watching these things and you can see like well a from a more, more important standpoint the critical watershed was not it wasn't really like going into like upper mill creek and upper brumley but more upper mill creek and just like Raging, yeah. And so you're like, oh, thank goodness, we're you know, it's not going to affect that water course yep. as dramatically. Obviously, with the the monsoons and the runoffs, that affects the water courses. And what is the like the outlook for that? Because critical watershed is
1: yeah. You know the the storm, the the first storm that hit. I think it was only like a 20 year storm. It wasn't. I mean, it seemed huge. We hadn't had a monsoon for a while but I think it was about a 20-year storm, and that went big, but that was so soon afterwards, there was almost no ground cover on the burn scar, and because of the rains, quickly thereafter, we started getting green coming up really fast, so we continued to get monsoons, but every one of them, you know, was dropping down in velocity and the amount of woody debris and sediment and stuff it it was bringing down, so just a little bit of ground cover it was it's pretty amazing to watch it like firsthand how much of a difference that made so you know we're still expecting if we get monsoons next year um there's still a lot to bare ground out there it'll probably be less severe depending on how big the storms are of course um but yeah it's something we're going to be w- looking at for a while and that you know that also leads into another thing i was going to bring up is we still do have closures in place that we are going to be re, re-, re- as we go into the summer um, LaSalle Pass Road and the Brumley Creek Motorized Trails, Pack Creek Picnic Area itself are some places that um, you know, we have concerns about with flash flooding and, and stuff coming out there. So that's something we're going to have to reevaluate. And we may or may not have those closed um, as we move into the summer. So obviously we don't want them closed. We want to keep public lands open to the public, but there could be some safety concerns there that kind of drive some of that. Um, we're also looking at potentially doing some in-stream channel work to kind of catch some of the woody debris um, that's going to come down off the mountain so that's something that may or may not happen and we really just didn't have time to get up there the monsoons hit so fast after that fire just bam it was there Um, so yeah I'm expecting we'll see some more of that but probably not at the same level we did last year
0: well, and so far, we're not exactly um, off to one of our most banner snow years ever.
2: So, No, it's better than one would think. I mean, this long high-pressure stint that we often get in January has been pretty rough, but the snowpack is over 100% right now. In fact, I looked at the basin-wide averages a week ago. I'm sure they've gone down a little bit now. But a week ago, southeast Utah was at 145%. Even the Wasatch Mountains were right around 100 to 110%. There was not a basin in the state that was under 100%. Yeah. So we had a snowy December. We had a bunch of snow and pre rain in October. The ground was super wet, I know, because I was up there working on the Gold Basin weather station and walking in the muck all the time. And unlike last season, where all that snow fell on dust... Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> This year, that snow is sitting on top of a well-saturated soil, and so that's really helpful. Now, we'll have to see how the rest of this winter goes. With the La Nina winter, we're not supposed to get a lot more snow. Um, They are saying maybe a pattern change next week. Um, It's not looking huge at this point, but we're not off to as bad of a start as it seems. They're actually off to a really good start, it's a matter how will it play out for the rest of the season
0: whether we go into whether it sublimates or whether it nice yeah. melts nice and slow and yes. starts like filling kens lake back up again right <laughs> and whatnot
1: yeah that's a good point uh, when we put the uh well, we put a new snow tail side in at the snow plot as well next to our communication tower And we took the uh snow get study guys from nrcs up there they were explaining a lot of that to us and um just how big of a deal it makes with that fall moisture because that following year or the subsequent year or following previous year, like Eric said, it it was dust. I mean... What did he call it? A deficit? A wilting phase? Yeah, yeah. The plants were all in wilting phase. You could see it. I mean, the aspens were just shriveling up. They weren't going in color. And then the snow fell on top of that. So when it melted, it just went straight down. And you hardly saw any runoff. Yeah. I mean, even in the whole Colorado system, it barely came up last year. So this year, those October storms, I'm are going to help a lot we got a lot more soil moisture than we did last year so
0: yeah and we have been able to see that pattern i think i've seen more wind blown trees down in the last five years while we've been in this persistent drought than probably in like the first 25 years yeah. that that i was uh, especially up in of course mill creek canyon that i talk about all the time <laughs> but yeah we need some deep moisture yeah you'd be able to dig more than a eighth of an inch and <laughs> That'll help the regrowth. Um, has the visitation to the winter trailhead, the skiers and snowmobilers, has it been up it, to par? Or? Oh yeah,
2: it's it's really like everywhere. We're in a growth spurt for the outdoors. And um, the trailhead has some reduced capacity this year, but it's still been pretty packed on weekends. Um, I mean, this this last dry spell ha, has slowed things down a little bit, but even like last, last weekend, the parking lot yeah. was full. There were a dozen cars up there day, midweek, and it hasn't snowed in three weeks, so yeah. still grooming. A lot of cross, cross-country cross skiing opportunities are still up there. There's a lower parking lot we have for trailers and for snowmobiles, and they've actually been using that quite a bit. The road's getting a little drier, so that's yeah. getting a little more challenging, but the people are definitely
1: still out and about up there. Yeah, and that's a good point, too, because you know, last year was such an eventful year in the district with the fire, and then had had this geyser Pass road construction planned for so long um and we finally got the funding for it and then of course we had the fire so we went right from a closure on geyser Pass. i think it was open for like three weeks and then we went into a closure for this road construction and then october we got a bunch of snow that shut it down so um if you've been up there you've seen about half the upper parking lot is actually full of gravel which is not ideal but it's what we ended up with and we uh kind of made the the best of the situation pushed it all towards one end it seems to be working now but there is um, as Eric mentioned a lower parking lot at Trans LaSalle now that's going to be both a summer and winter parking lot but we're going to try to get as long as this, the road is snow packed above there, snowmobiles and, and folks with you know motorized over the snow equipment to park down there at their trailers so that it's only a little over a mile down to there um, and that's something we'll be looking at in the future is getting some more signage up about that and encouraging people to use that bottom one that have snowmobiles so it keeps the top one open for just vehicles so it is getting busy up there um even when it's not great backcountry skiing there's great nordic skiing and our our lower utah nordic alliance luna volunteers are up there grooming um weekly still so it's, it's a heroes
0: great heroes he several
1: yeah. times a week sometimes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: matt Hebert, if you're out there you're a hero <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so you haven't seen really any change in the user interaction in the wintertime activities up there in the LaSalle. In relation to the fire? In relation to the fire, yeah. Well, just
2: like Brian said, a little bit different use patterns, um, skin trails going up in different locations. Um, There is a new ski run. There actually is a new ski run. Um, uh, It's right above the parking lot, and it's kind of that ridge, that lower Brumley uh, burn-off ridge, we call it. And it burned through there, and amazingly enough, right by the parking lot, trees are all still alive. But right behind it, it burned, so it's opened that up quite a bit. And it's a pretty low angle run, and that thing is tracked out. People are skiing in there like where they never ever skied before. So that has changed
1: things. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, Yeah,
0: spectacular wipeout there once.
1: Yeah,
0: (laughs) burnout slash wipeout. Yeah,
1: yeah. It'll be interesting too because I, you know, I've skied that a couple times, and it is really interesting to see it. it's all opened up but i think we're gonna get a lot of aspen regrowth in there so it might just be a couple of years that we have it and then it might be even thicker in there than it was so mm-hmm. i don't know only time will tell but uh it's it's interesting to watch the use change a little bit where people are and like i said even myself i just get confused up there sometimes now like where where am i at i'll, I'll burn around here now so
0: yeah it's amazing how much um of an area when you are really familiar with it imprints yeah into your brain and yeah. just in your subconscious. And then you like, <laughs> like I can look at a root at Mill Creek and be like, someone broke that hole. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like from the ground. Cause but it's just so.
2: And, and literally though, so if you're up there skiing up the Laurel highway, what we call the main Ridge, you're going to walk through 3% of the route burned. Yeah. So I don't want to give the impression yeah. that, Oh my gosh, the whole world has changed. It's just like, but you'll be walking along. All of a sudden there'll be a small area where the burn was. And that's where the views will open up. And then suddenly you'll go back into the forest again literally it's like to the average user up there they're going to actually have to look behind the forest to see where it's been burnt then they're going to walk through a couple obvious burnt spots but it's
1: yeah it's not like
0: it's not as blown out as no it could have been
1: no, I had talked to some folks that had come down from I think from Park City last weekend and And, uh, was talking to them, and they were like, where, where did it burn at? And they'd come through some of it already, you know, so they they were on the Nordic track, but they (laughs) didn't really see it all that much. So I think a lot of it's just because we spent so much time up there.
0: Right. You're, you're so intimate with the resource that, and that's why, you know, we all felt so like intensely like this is a catastrophe and we're losing this amazing resource yeah, we
1: had one specific Engelman spruce. That, um, we keep we haven't measured it, but we think it's the largest in the range. That when I heard Gold Basin burned, we were both like, "Oh no, did that thing go?" And so we hiked up there that day after the fire, and it actually didn't get close to that thing. So I was really happy to see that. I hugged it today. Yeah, <laughs> three great, people you can fit around yeah, this
0: thing. The great grandpa. <laughs> yeah. Tree of the La Salles. Yeah. <laughs> the Michael Reisel Network decided, we're going to keep you. Yeah. You've got too much information to share with the rest of the trees before we let you go. <laughs> yeah,
2: There was a tree in England, smaller but still a big old one, where you, re- where you put your skins back on. Yeah. After you come out of Gold Basin, you do go through a burnt zone there, and where you put your skins back on to get up to the road, that, that tree took a hit, and so did the surrounding trees. But I think the
1: aspen are going to move quickly into there. Yeah.
0: And did the yurts...
1: No, the the yurt, so the Gold Basin yurt, um, it didn't really get burned right there. It's all green green. around there. Yeah, you can't even see the burn from there.
0: I feel like we were looking at it on the satellite going,
1: The the geyser one. burned? Yeah, the geyser one, that one was, I was like, oh, they're going to lose that. Um, But the fire uh, crews that were up there, you know, we had talked with them and told them it was there. They actually got in and did a bunch of kind of mitigation work and cut a bunch of the... The boughs, the low-hanging boughs down on some of the conifers, and amazingly, that thing survived. And it did burn right up to the geyser past year, but uh, it didn't take it, so. And yeah. there's still plenty of green
2: trees around. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, know, Yeah. just surprised to see it. But right the
2: Gold there. Basin one, man, that was like right in the perimeter. Yeah. It looked like it was just going <laughs> to be, I mean, it's all green. Yep. It was like, wow. Didn't...
0: That's pretty amazing. Are you advising people when they're going up to the LaSalle to ski, um, any sort of different measures that you would recommend that are people are taking? Or is it pretty much the routes are slightly different here and there, but basically the overall user experience is what it has been?
2: I think it's pretty much what it was been. I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is what, when Brian was talking about the wind. And so these trees are a lot more susceptible to blow down now. And we get some really strong winds up there. So if you're in the north woods or you're in a burnt zone and... You're skidding up the Laurel Highway right up yeah. the ridge, and you go through that burn zone, and you're in high, you're going that would be the biggest thing I would advise people to look out for. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't think the use, I wouldn't send people anywhere else or tell them to do anything differently. No,
1: Gee, I, that's, I think that's gonna be the biggest thing. And then once again, when we're into the runoff and, and monsoons, you know, being aware of if it rains, they're gonna have some increased erosion coming down and some of those things. But yeah, from a winter standpoint, it's gonna be the trees. And like I said, it's probably going to be four or five years out, but then we're really going to have a lot coming down. So it'll be interesting to see that. It's going to be an
0: ongoing thing. Yeah. And I yeah. think a lot of people don't really realize how giant even a small forest is when you're talking about management. Oh, yeah. It's not just like you can uh, get out there and clear all these tre- dead trees out of the way. and.
1: No, that that we get asked that a lot. Like, <laughs> what are you going to do with all these dead trees? I'm like... But- they're going to be there, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. if, if like obviously, line. yeah, obviously if it's right by a developed side or parking lot, that stuff, uh, we're going getting all the hazard trees out of, even along the trails, we're trying to do that, but it's impossible to get almost every one of those things that hazard tree down. So that's just why we've got the signs up now telling people to be aware of that. Like there's some increased risk that you're taking on by going into those places. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, that, that's probably going to be the biggest change just dealing with that down the road.
0: So, going up into the forest now, and when you first were able to go up into the forest, it sounded like it was a pretty radical, like emotionally, it was like a pretty swift change from like dread to like, wow, oh, this actually could be kind of a cool thing to watch evolve over time.
1: I think a little of both, yeah. And I, you know, I I, I had actually worked at Pack Creek for two different summers um, and done pack trips into the mountains too. So, I had a longer history than even just working with the forester was here. So to watch what happened on Pack Creek was pretty emotional, um, because that is lower elevation and not really as, as evolved to deal with, with fire, especially in that repairing with some of those old cottonwoods and stuff. Um, the old cottonwood I used to live under. Uh up on Ken's place, Ken and Jane's place there totally burned up and that was like pretty, you know, disheartening and an impact. But yeah, then when you get up there and uh that first day of being there got in there and really see that mosaic up high and there were places that still pretty devastating, like that beginning of Gold Basin, that's so different in there it's like wow. I just had to sit there for a minute and take it in but then to get up and see the old some of that old growth in Engelman spruce that survived and most of the northwoods, and yeah so it's definitely some mixed emotions yeah. at least for me Same. And I remember being able to finally get up high and see
2: it, you know. um, I did a a hike all along the ridge tops. I went up to Peel, and then I went all the way along the ridge to the top of Melanthin so that I could see it all from above. And and you could definitely see right where the thing burnt right up to the mouth of Gold Basin, and it was all black down there, but at least it stopped, right? And then I got into looking to Horse Creek because I was really worried about all those conifers in there, that big stand. That's one of our biggest stands from Horse Creek up towards Geyser Pass. And, And to look down on it and just see there were a couple little fingers, and it was really spotty, Um, it was, it was a relief overall to see that it was not,
1: it was interesting too. I was going to, you know, bring up another thing we, me and Eric talked about a little bit because, you know, in Eric's world and the avalanche world, you deal with a lot of especially big avalanches. They're taking down significant amounts of trees sometimes. And we had one, was it three or four years ago? Yeah. Right off the West face up there, you can see a giant, open apron of white right now that used to be all trees yeah right? and I'd, take gone. It, I'd taken a picture like the week before and then this thing happened overnight during that week at a big storm event and you know i like wow that's totally gone we got to get up there in june so as soon as the snow came off we went up there and it is just acres of like matchsticks yeah just devastation it took the whole thing out you know but i didn't have the same emotional response seeing that like oh wow look at this cool avalanche took all these trees out and right you know it's is natural process and now we get to watch it come back in but it, it was interesting because when the fire was happening it was a much more emotional response uh i think it's just something we've evolved with too and, and it's so in your face to watch those columns going up and you know you don't even you see we didn't see that avalanche until june but uh yeah, it was you know, similar amount of destruction in some of those places and just different reactions that humans have to it is kinda of interesting. Yeah, that was.
0: Yeah, and just to the, the helplessness that you feel where a fire was started that should have never yeah. occurred and the property losses and fortunately no exactly. lives lost. Yeah. Definitely some animal lives were lost yeah. and and it's it's good that it ended up being less catastrophic. Than it could have been, but yeah, may not be the last fire we see like that definitely won't in be strange
1: and and you, you'll see we've been doing and we have been doing prior to this a lot of fuel treatments up there and and you know there's a lot of different opinions on those treatments, but they showed to be pretty effective around pack Creek itself and if you go across the loop road, you will see even in this winter over on uh, Harpole Mesa and some of the areas in the north, we are doing some fuels projects over there too, and part of that is you know wildlife. Uh, enhancement and you know cutting some of the the pj out and getting forbs and grasses and feed to come back in but a lot of it is also just being able to deal with some of these fires and um having a chance to put them down and you know at a more natural level than than what we saw happening last june so
0: is it fairly hopeful that when we um melt off in the spring and then head into summer do you think the surrounding habitat is going to be grown back enough and stable enough that the trail, the hiking trails and the biking trails and whatnot are going to maintain? You No,
1: I have. I think we're going to be dealing with it quite a bit on the Trans There There's some places in there where it crossed over, um, not Brumley, but the uh, Dory, Dory and Dory. That was just like nuked in there. I mean. So hydrophobic soils and everything else and that's where a lot of the, the actual floods came out of too at dory but, yeah out of dory so because that whole drainage like from the bottom all the way up burnt and so there was nothing in that thing other places like brumley still had some green in places
0: what makes um, the soil hydrophobic is that inherent or is that due to the fire
1: just due to the fire because it burnt so hot in there and then you get it basically becomes hydrophobic you can drop water on it and it just runs off instead of soaking in so you could really see it in there um, and in other places, but a lot of places, because there was snow on the ground or it was still so green, that's one read that was kind of a helpful fire ecologically because it didn't do that in a lot of places up high. But Head of Dory, it was pretty burnt. So I think we're gonna be dealing with some trail issues in there for a while, um, just constantly going in and bench cutting it and pulling it back out. Um, the Brumley trails that I mentioned, the motorized trails that go in there, those basically washed out, they're basically impassable right now, so we're going to have to get some kind of trail cat or bulldozer down on them to open them back up, because um, they, even during the fire we got in there and rock slides had come down even without the rain, just because it's so loose, um, without that vegetation holding it together, so, uh, we'll be doing it for a while. Our engineers that worked on LaSalle Pass Road, you know, we opened that up, um, like physically opened it up two or three times. And then every time we got a rain, they just washed back out. So they had this engineering crew we have has worked on a lot of the fires in Huntington Canyon. If you're familiar with that, that's been an ongoing flood mm-hmm. every summer for eight years now. Um, and they are like, this is going to do the same thing. So they're thinking that we're going to be spending a lot of time keeping that thing open. That's another thing, you know, if we do open that up in the spring and summer that, People need to be aware of is like if you're up there, you can get between some of these things and really get cut off because it it's going to probably be a while before everything really settles down and we don't have those those floods again. So,
0: so it sounds like from a, a immediate short term economic standpoint, there wasn't a big hit as far as like the resource area is concerned. But over the long term, well, other than the fire management, but I mean like for users, user experience, but. Maintaining and reopening everything is probably going to be.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, some more outfitters. Campground
0: fees might not pay for it.
1: No. <laughs> we, we know we did get money for uh, Bear, which is Burned Area Emergency Response, and that's what we used to do a lot with the the trails and the roads, and that'll be ongoing too. There's still some like rip riprap work we need to do in Pack Creek up against the roads, and hopefully that'll happen this year. Um, but yeah, from an economic standpoint, you know, some more outfitters, you're. Uh, Folks who run that, they didn't have, they weren't able to use it all summer. Some of our folks that used, you know, a whole enchilada, you could still use it, but you had to go all the way around the back. Right. So there were definitely some short-term impacts for folks um, during the summer months. But hopefully, that'll all be, you know, open back up and back to as normal as possible next year. So
0: new normal. New normal. You, we're getting used to these new we normals. We are getting used. <laughs> is it,
1: yeah, is, it, is it, uh, maybe mentioning the geyser pass. Road? Good point. Yeah, so that will be. Um, I just talked to our engineers this week, and we're just waiting for the snow to come off because we're going to have to finish that project. So there will be more closures on Geyser Pass this summer once the snow comes off. We've got it all, the, the trees removed, some of them burnt, um, kind of helped us out with that too. But we do, we're going to be widening that road by two feet, and that's going to take quite a bit of time still, and then uh, doing some more drainage and actually improving the parking areas at Clark Lake, adding some more up at the top of Geyser, um, so that will be a little bit of uh, work this summer and add some closures. So, yeah, stay tuned. Look at our website because if you head up there, there will be some inconveniences still as we work through that. We were hoping to have all that done last summer, but yeah. the fire, fire some, changed all that. Fire sometimes. and then those big storms in October. I mean, yeah. we got some big storms during the Elcon that were like, wow. Sometimes life down.
0: changes the most well-intended plans. Yes. <laughs> So do you have any final impressions for us today, Eric, about um, how things are going this winter up in the La Salles? And are there any events on the schedule that people should know about?
2: Actually, that's a really good question. Uh, We do have our Backcountry 101 class scheduled for the weekend of February 19th. You can go to the website at utahavalanchecenter.org and look at the web forecast. I'll have details posted up there soon. Um, This is a class to get people actually out into the field. There's some online course Material to go through before the class, there's a Zoom presentation the night before that's about an hour and a half long to kind of review everything that you've studied and then we'll be out in the field on Saturday the 19th. So go to the website for for information and signing up on that. Um, I think we're gonna have a Trailhead Awareness Day later later on in February. I think that's the weekend after that, but I don't have that firm date yet, but we do have that scheduled um, and we'll probably do a beacon uh, clinic up there as well. Um, we've got the beacon training park in, so people can get up there and use that now. It's basically a, a, a place to practice your find your beacon skills. There's a switchboard you can flip a switch. There's eight beacons buried out in the snow, and you look for them with yours. And when you find it, you probe down on it. You don't have to dig it up, but it's a great way to practice, especially now if the skiing's not so great. It's a sunny day up there, and you still want to be in the mountains. You can practice with that. Um, we've got a, our beacon.
0: Go ahead. Oh, a beacon being a transceiver oh, an device transceiver, that you can yes. locate someone if they've... Exactly. If you or yourself or your partner is buried under some snow, you can... For those of you who don't
2: know. <laughs> exactly. It's to practice uh, your avalanche rescue skills. And everybody wears an avalanche transceiver or avalanche beacon, we call it. And so we have this park in place where you can work on those skills and practice before you head out. Um, those things, they're not real easy. I mean, they're, they're, they're getting easier and easier to use all the time. But like anything, you want to be good, practice to be good at it. When I was a ski patroller, we would practice that stuff weekly, you know. And if you're trying to dig somebody out, you want to do it fast.
0: I'm going to start wearing mine when I'm mountain biking.
2: Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> But I think that's the main events. But the the Backcountry 101 class is the main thing that people are going to watch out for if they want to uh, enhance their, their backcountry travel skills and avalanche awareness.
0: And if you haven't been fortunate enough to get up into the La Salles yet this winter, the user experience is going to be basically the same.
2: It is. It's yeah. still really great. It's still really beautiful up there. We actually have a good base of snow. I um, There's about four feet at the end of the road in Gold Basin, and uh, I have dug snow pits now that are six, seven feet deep up in Gold Basin. So there's, there's there's lots of snow up there still.
0: Lots of good times This will be had. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brian, any final thoughts yeah, for you? Yeah, about- I would
1: just um, encourage folks, both locals, and we're getting a lot of people from you know out of town that are using the mountain now, but really... Um, check Eric's forecast. Uh, It's not just an avalanche forecast, we're fortunate, we're kind of a a holistic recreation program here, and Eric also reports on the grooming and um, on the roads. So a lot of folks head up there right after a storm and two wheel drives and we end up, you know, getting unstuck. And so we do a lot of condition updates. We don't have nearly the level of condition update in the summer as we do in the winter because Eric's here forecasting almost every day. So really encourage people to go there and look at the conditions before they head out. And the road
2: is closed during plowing and we don't always know when the plowing is going to take place because a lot of times if there's snow downtown they've got to get to that first but they've been really communicative with us and i can call them at 10 minutes to 7 in the morning before i put the forecast out and they will tell me whether they plan to plow geyser or not if they do plan to plow it i'll put a note in the forecast that says the road will be closed while plowing's in progress don't expect to get up there until afternoon or the road is not plowed you're on your own take chains and four-wheel drive and blah blah blah. so yeah get all your mountain information right there
1: Big shout out to our partners. We've talked about Luna and, and Grand County Roads in Grand County. They're the ones that keep that road open and uh, through partnership with us. So yeah, it's it's uh, definitely a uh, lot of different moving pieces to keep winter recreation going up there on the mountain. And uh, we're lucky to have it. Yeah.
0: And great to see that we still have that resource open and available to us. And thanks to you guys for you and all your associates' hard work and keeping us informed and keeping these resources open for us to enjoy.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank
2: you, Lisa.
0: You guys have a great day.
2: You too.